Yeah, I do want to invite you, if uh, you would turn in your Bibles, your electronic devices to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. I was, it, as you're doing that, I, I was just mindful this morning um, as we were worshiping in the song, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, which says, where Paul says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And um, certainly that is looking forward to the last day when Jesus appears. But is it not also true that as we are worshiping in spirit and truth, there is this revelation of the Lord Jesus. There is this appearing, if you will. And what a joy it is to, to worship the Lord in song, singing with you. Just was moved by that. Um, Jesus is our joy, but it is really sweet to, to worship him together with all of you. So I'm, I'm blessed by that. John chapter 10, as we move on in our uh, focus on this gospel, this biography of Jesus. At the outset of this sermon series, I had asked you to, to pray for three things. And I want to ask you to continue to do so, to keep praying for these same three things. I asked you uh, to ask the Lord uh, that, that we would, first and foremost, believe right and biblical truth about Jesus. That we would believe right, true, biblical truth about Christ Jesus. That's the whole purpose of, of John writing this book. He says in John chapter 20, verse 31, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So continue to pray. Continue to pray for revelation of the glory of Christ that that would affect us. And um, keep praying that. Keep praying. That. Don't stop pressing in to know Jesus, knowing him more fully, receiving him for all that he is. Second, I asked you if you would ask the Lord to shape us according to this revelation of Jesus, that he would transform us, he would change us. And that's again because of John 20, 31. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. We want transforming life through this, this gospel. Don't stop praying for that. Continue to ask God the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of your hearts to his beauty and majesty so that you would have discernible and full, abundant joy and life in Jesus. And then thirdly, I asked you to ask the Lord to make us faithful and fruitful witnesses. The Gospel of John, just uh, in God's wisdom, sovereign providence, is a book that has uh, historically been so fruitful in people coming to experience new birth, and then as their hearts are alive and they behold the glory of the Lord, then they turn to Jesus, they trust Jesus, they follow Jesus. So keep on asking the Lord to do these things. I, I'm aware of, of a number of people who have experienced new birth just in these last few months. They've professed their faith, and 
God willing, we can have a, a, a baptismal service soon so that they can express that publicly. But uh, continue to pray these ways as we make our way through John's gospel. All right. So having said that, let's give our attention fully now to John chapter 10. This morning we're going to look at verses 22 through 42. This is God's word, his holy, authoritative word. Follow along. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. And it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him. And they said, John did no sign. But everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. This is God's word. Let's pray together. And so we come before you again, Father, 
we turn to you and we ask yet again, open the eyes of our hearts. Open our eyes that we might see the glories of our Lord Jesus. Open our hearts that we may feel the glories of Jesus. Enlarge our capacity. Enlarge our perception. Enlarge our knowing. Increase, enlarge our joy in our Savior. That's why these things were written. That we might believe and that we might have life. And so magnify, Lord. Put on display in this gathering right now, in this room, among all of these hearts that, and lives that are represented here. Would you do this work of causing us to know, causing us to see and trust and enjoy and find spiritual life in our Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Even though what the Apostle John records in these verses that I just read, it's, there's nothing really remarkably new or different than anything that we have seen so far in this Gospel. I believe uh, what should get our attention here is that the truth, the plain truth about Jesus, who he is, and what Jesus came to accomplish, this is set forth in these verses with unusual force. It's not different. There's just more horsepower. There's more octane on this. What's different, and it may not seem remarkably different to you, is that the things that we've already learned about Jesus in reading this gospel so far, they are put forward with more emphasis, stronger emphasis. And the question is, why? Well, we already know why. John wrote these things so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing these things we might have life in His name. And so it's the same truth, but it's building in intensity. It's the same truth, but it's filling out more and more with clarity. It's, it's, it's the same truth, it's kind, but it's kind of like a mushroom cloud. It's growing. It's spreading. It's gathering momentum. And so, here's the point, I believe, of John chapter 10, verses 22 to 42. What Jesus makes possible because of who He is and the possibility of us obtaining what Jesus makes possible because of who He is depends on us believing who He is. Let me say that again. <laughs> what Jesus makes possible because of who He is and the possibility of us obtaining that, what Jesus makes possible, be because of who he is. It depends on us believing who he is. Now, I, I realize that's just not the most smooth, concise, well-crafted, big idea statement I've ever come up with. But, but I believe it's true 
from the text. And my goal here is to point you to the truth of who Jesus is. The plain truth. Point you to what Jesus makes possible because of who he is. And then call you to make growing in your faith. Making progress in your faith. For all he is for you. The highest priority and purpose of your life. So we're going to jump into all that in just a moment. But the first thing, and I think it's important, is to explain the situation of this text. History, I realize, is not everyone's favorite channel. But bear with me because I believe Jesus' words in John 10.35 are true. In John 10.35, Jesus says, Scripture cannot be broken. That is, Scripture cannot be annulled. In other words, there is not one sentence, there is not one phrase, there is not one word. There is, uh, in it, of this God-breathed text that is to be disregarded, every book in this book, every chapter in this book, every verse in this book is to be esteemed as the very Word of God, including John chapter 10, verse 22, which says, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Now, now could it be that those words... It was winter. (laughs) Were written that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and have life in his name. Think about that maybe in December or January. Um, But also, several feasts have been mentioned in John's Gospel so far. And all of the feasts mentioned so far have been They were feasts that were authorized and they were described in the Old Testament Scripture. But this feast, the Feast of Dedication, referred to in John 10.22, this is a very different feast. In 167 B.C., it's about 200 years before the moment being described here in John 10.22-42, there was an emperor from Syria by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, whose ambition it was to kind of flex his military muscle and to extend his his power and his rule and reign out from Syria in every which direction, including southward into Israel. And as part of the extension of his rule and reign, he sought to bring about a uniform worship, uniformity to worship. In other words, he opposed, he opposed all religious diversity in his kingdom so that wherever he went and wherever he took over lands and wherever he took over peoples, he determined that, that those lands and peoples and nations, they would worship only the Greek gods. And so after invading and conquering Israel, Antiochus Epiphanes went into Jerusalem and he set up an altar in the temple, an altar that he dedicated to the worship of the Greek god Zeus. 
Now, you can, you can imagine probably how offensive this was to the Jewish people. It was just an abomination. And, and even though they're under this, the domination of the Syrian emperor, a grassroots rebellion began. So, like, just, just think uh, Star Wars, okay? The evil empire, the rebellion. And, 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 and lots and lots of Jews revolted. And in the midst of this revolution, as so often happens, uh, a hero emerges. A man by the name of Judas Maccabeus, a.k.a. Judas the Hammer. And uh, after several years, uh, it's through this kind of a guerrilla warfare that, that he organized, this revolt is gaining enough ment- momentum that eventually, in 164 BC, Judas the Hammer and his rebellion overthrew the Syrian control of Jerusalem. So, so under his leadership, and it's, it was on December 25th, 164 B.C., is also known as the month of Kislev, the rebel forces recaptured Jerusalem and they reconsecrated the temple to the worship of God. And people celebrated for eight days. So now you can just sort of imagine Ewoks, you know, they're singing and dancing, they got their torches in the trees and whatnot. At the, at the end of eight days of celebration, Judas Maccabeus stands up and he decreed, let's do this every year. Let's, let's, uh, let's have an eight-day celebration every year. So, starting on the 25th day of the month of December, an annual holiday was honored when people, they'd light candles in their homes and they would celebrate the rededication of the temple to the worship of God. And that is the story behind what we know today as Hanukkah. Hanukkah means dedication. So it's the Feast of Dedication. And that's the feast that forms the backdrop of what happens here in John 10, 22 to 42. It's December. It's winter. And there is this, there's just this great patriotic spirit in the air, you know? Like fireworks and People are just having a great time. And you can be sure that it aroused no small amount of messianic expectation. And that is, perhaps, in part, what led to the very pointed question in John 10.24. Are you or aren't you the Christ? But more significantly, Much more significantly, I think, it is now at the Feast of Dedication in the winter, December, month of Kislev, it is now only four months, four short months away from the next time, which is also the last time 
that Jesus will visit Jerusalem. Loved ones, the clock is ticking. And Jesus knows it. The hour, his hour, the appointed hour for him to lay down his life. That hour has not yet come, but it's coming. And Jesus can count the days. And until that hour, there is a Jesus is, is, he's faithfully, he's intentionally walking out the mission and purpose of his life, but it's building, it's intensifying. And all the time he's teaching, and all the time he's working, and all the time he is calling people to believe in him. So here he is. He's in Jerusalem, he's in the temple. Lots of people around for this big holiday celebration. And verse 24 says, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And that is a question, actually one of three questions, that I want us to ask this morning as well. So here's the first question. What is the plain truth about who Jesus really is? It's a crucial question, right? Because remember, what Jesus makes possible because of who he is and the possibility of us obtaining what Jesus makes possible because of who he is depends on us believing who he is. So what is then the, the plain truth about who Jesus really is? Now th throughout John's gospel that, that question, are, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? It, it has come up again and again and again. Wherever Jesus is teaching, somebody's raising that question. And not once does Jesus explicitly just come out and say, I'm the Messiah. Well actually that's not quite true. There was one time when he came out and just said it. It was in a private conversation with a woman standing by a well. Remember in John chapter 4 verses 25-26 the Samaritan woman said to him I know that Messiah is coming he who is called Christ when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That's the only time. Why is that? Why this sort of a <laughs> cryptic way of going about things? Well, there, there, were, there were just... There is just way too many political, military expectations and associations in the minds of the Jewish people regarding the Messiah. Way too much freight in terms of what he would do and, and, and what he would be like. And, and so Jesus clearly wanted to avoid all that misunderstanding. And so he makes 
he makes no explicit declarations to this reality. However, however, all of his words, all of his works, everything he did, everywhere he went, pointed clearly and unmistakably in one direction. And so, when they say here, you know, how how long are you going to keep us guessing? Jesus can say, truthfully, I have told you. I, I have shown you. It's about as clear as it can be, but you still don't believe. Everything that Jesus taught, all of his teaching has been communicating this truth plainly enough that he is the Christ. I mean, just think of, of all of those I am's that we've, we've looked at so far. I am the living water springing up to eternal life. John 4.14 I am the bread that came down from heaven. John 6.42 I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the light of the world. Oh, and to let us not forget, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus taught those things everywhere. He, he, he taught them in the little places, in the villages, in the countryside. He taught them in the, in, in the larger settings. He made a specific apparently unique effort to come to Jerusalem during those special feast days when the crowds would just swell and, and he would teach publicly about himself. And in fact, just four months later, yet to come, he's on trial before the high priest and Jesus makes a point of saying, you know, I did all of my teaching out in the open. Just ask anybody. I made things as plain as possible and you still do not believe. But of course, it wasn't just his teaching. Jesus' works plainly pointed to the truth about who he is as well. In John chapter 2, he, he turned water into wine. And John John writes, this was just the first of many signs Jesus did in order to manifest his glory. In John chapter 4, Jesus heals a dying boy with just a word. In John 5, he heals a man who had been an invalid for 38 years in the temple on a feast day. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. In John 9, again on a feast day, he heals a man who had been born blind. And we're just a few verses now away from Jesus raising a man from the dead. Loved ones, these are things that, these are things that only God can do. And that's Jesus' whole point in verse 25. You've heard with your own ears. You've seen with your own eyes. There's been more than enough to point to the plain truth of who I really am. But you do not believe. But in his great love and in 
his sweet mercy and in his astonishing patience. And, and because, I think this is really important, Jesus knows there are some scattered out in this crowd on that day who are sheep. Real sheep who have not been yet brought into the sheep pen, but who once they hear the good shepherd's voice, will believe. And so Jesus once again teaches here in these verses about who he really is plainly. Here in John 10, this is the way he goes about it. It's interesting. The whole focus here is by talking about his special relationship with God the Father. The reason that we know that this is, this is some pretty, you know, intense stuff, it's significant stuff, it's powerful and very plain, is on account of the fact that the Jews, when they hear him speak about his relationship with the Father, they just go off. There is a very strong and a very violent reaction. So clearly something of great importance is being communicated so that when Jesus speaks about his relationship with the Father, it's just, it touches a nerve. Look at this. Starting in verse 25, Jesus says, The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. So, so the things that Jesus does they're in concert with the Father. Jesus' will, the Father's will, they are one and the same will. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me. Again, a shared mission, purpose, they're doing this together is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So apparently, being in Jesus' hand and being in the Father's hand is being in the same hand. Right? Verse 30. I and the Father are one. That got a particularly strong reaction. We'll come back to that one in a second. Verse 32. I have shown you many good works from the Father. I've shown you many good works from the Father. Again, this shared purpose and action. Verse 36, him whom the Father sent into the world, speaking of Jesus, he was sent by the Father. A unity of mission, purpose, action. Verse 37, if I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. Again, unity, action, Purpose, mission. Verse 38, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Which again got a very strong reaction. What does all this say about who Jesus really is? Clearly, right? Clearly. Jesus and the Father are perfectly one in their will. Perfectly one in their aim and purpose. Perfectly one in the things that they are doing. 
They are jointly committed, God the Son, God the Father, to the eternal protection and the eternal preservation of those who belong to them. Oh, but there's more. There is a oneness of being. There's this inseparable union between the Father and the Son. There is a unity of essence. I and the Father are one. The Father is in me. And I am in the Father. Listen. Jesus is claiming. Does it need to be any more explicit? He is claiming. And it's without any reservation. And without any vagueness. He is claiming to be fully God. The Word was with God and the Word was God. D.A. Carson says, The Jews had asked for a plain statement that would clarify whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. He gave them far more. And the response is intense. Verse 31 the Jews picked up stones. Again, they're, just, they're not picking up, you know, the little ones that, you know, you kind of ticky-tack throw at people's windows to get somebody's attention. These are, the, these are the kind that are, you know, as big as a softball and could do some damage. They pick up stones again to stone him. Jesus answers, hey, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Just a second. For, for which of the good works... Now, are you so upset that you want to kill me? And they answer, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you. It's for blasphemy. Because, and this is an amazing phrase, because you, being a man, make yourself God. You see the irony in that? You feel the irony in that statement, you being a man, make yourself God. Friends, <laughs> Jesus did not make himself God. He did just the opposite. He is God. And he made himself to be a man. Because he didn't count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped. Instead he emptied himself. Taking the form of his servant. Born as a man. And being found in human form. He humbled himself. By become obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross. God became a man. And that doctrine. Changes everything. That's earth shattering. And then look at verses 34 to 36. These verses, can, can, they can be a little bit confusing at times. Um, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and... Scripture cannot be broken. 
Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Here's, what I, here's how I take that. There, there is a scripture, and it's specifically, he's referring to Psalm 82 verse 6. There's a scripture, Psalm 82 verse 6, that refers to even human beings as having God-like attributes. Theologians call these the communicable attributes of God. (laughs) So if if this title, God, has at least some point of reference to even mere human beings, well then it's hardly inappropriate for Jesus to use that title in reference to himself who was with God and in fact was God from the beginning. But once again... It's to this kind of, this kind of statements that they just, ugh, you know, just sets a fire off in them, and um, and Jesus again, then, in John ten thirty nine, he slips through their hands and uh, he he gets away. How is it that he gets away? because his hour had not yet come. So, what's going on here? And how is this then significant for us? Um, l- listen, what, what, what Jesus is doing is calling people to revise their limited and in some cases, erroneous views of the Christ. Right? He's calling people to revise their limited and at times erroneous views of the Christ. There is a greater richness, there is a greater complexity, there is a greater glory to the Messiah and of the Messiah being God, than than these people had up to this point realized. Their their view was so limited. Their view was so, in some some ways, just kind of off. And Jesus, in great mercy, is coming and just enlarging it all. What he, you know, what he was saying would have been very challenging for people to comprehend. You know, we, we like to throw the Pharisees under the bus a lot, and, um, but we need to cut them a little bit of slack. Yes, they're stubborn. Yes, they, they're hard-hearted in their unbelief. But there is, um, let's just call it a conceptual expansion. that is necessary for them to fully understand, to fully grasp the glories of Jesus Christ. And loved ones, we need that too. We need a conceptual expansion to fully grasp the glories of Jesus. Their vision of Christ is too small. 
our vision of Christ, while it's not big enough yet, there is way more, way more to discover and know and behold and be struck by. And God in His mercy is in Christ Jesus aiming to help them and us to see it. This is why we, we use this little phrase, it's not original to us, but, but we like to say it, that gospel doctrine, truth about who Christ is, gospel doctrine plus safety. You know, you're not just you know, sticking our fingers in somebody's chest. Come on, you, know, you need to understand this. And, and plus time, you know, so that people have a chance to process these things and kind of evaluate things. Gospel doctrine plus safety plus time will often and eventually lead to gospel transformation. Our vision of Christ, our doctrine of Christ, our Christology has a long ways to go. There is oh so much more of Jesus to see and know and enjoy, and may we keep on praying that our Heavenly Father might grant us, grant to us ever enlarging spiritual perception of who Jesus really is. We cannot stop praying that. And may our Heavenly Father grant to us ever enlarging spiritual perception of what we have in Christ. Remember, because what Jesus makes possible, because of who He is, and the possibility of us obtaining what Jesus makes possible because of who He is depends on us believing who He is. And since we've been shown plainly who Jesus really is, well then, what is the plain truth about what Jesus has made possible? What is the plain truth about what Jesus has made possible? And He tells us plainly what He has plainly made possible in verses 27 to 30. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. And here it is. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. <laughs> what has Jesus made possible? What's the mission, the purpose, God the Father, God the Son are fulfilling together? Eternal life and eternal security. Jesus came to rescue his sheep so that they might never perish but have abundant, full, overflowing, and everlasting spiritual life. And once Jesus has snatched his sheep from perishing, no one can snatch them out of his hand. Loved ones, our eternal well-being our eternal 
security depends on Jesus' hold on us and not our hold of him. And what's so crucial to understand, we've got to tie this all together. Listen now. Who Jesus really is and what he makes possible because of who he is and the possibility of us obtaining what he makes possible because of who he is, it depends on us believing who he is. So what do we do? What is the plain truth regarding how we obtain what Jesus has made possible? Believe. According to verse 42, uh, in spite of the fact that many who heard Jesus over and over again saw the works and they just, they just, the evidence is piling up, piling up, piling up and, and still would not believe. According to verse 42, many did believe in him. And, and many of you who are gathered here today have believed. Some have not. And if not, then I invite you to start somewhere. Look at verses 37 to 38. Jesus is a very gracious Savior. He says, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe in me. But if I do them, and even though you do not believe in me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. In other words, if you find it just too over the top to believe in Jesus and who he really is. Well, then just start by believing what he does, has done. I mean, can, can you believe that a man who had been blind from birth was healed and received his sight? Can you believe that work? Can you believe that happened? How about, can you believe that a man who had been an invalid for 38 years, can you believe he was made to walk again? Testimony's right there. <laughs> can you believe it? Start there. Let's start with the works. If you believe the works that happened, believe the miracles happened, and what Jesus is saying is if you start there, then it's possible to grow from there in understanding and in believing that it's Jesus who did them. And that he really is all that he says he is for you. A growing faith. For, for, for some of you, that, that may be all the faith you have. It might be all the faith you have just to accept that, you know, something powerful happened then. I'll give you that. You can accept the fact that Jesus lived 
did a bunch of powerful things, perhaps. You can accept that he died on the cross. Perhaps you believe that what is recorded here in these verses are, are true, that they actually happened. But loved ones, don't stay there. Don't stay where you have been for years with this small Christ, this little Jesus. Let your conceptual understanding expand. <laughs> no progress, no enlargement of your faith, no. Don't sit on the fence there. Don't let your vision of Christ Jesus remain that small. Don't waste the beginning. Grow. Take steps. Ask the Lord to enlarge your perception of the plain truth of who Jesus is. Is Ask the Lord to enlarge your perception of the truth of what Jesus has obtained. Spiritual perception. Not just, not just mental, but spiritual. You see, move on. Move forward. Move from just believing to savoring and treasuring and pursuing the eternal heights and depths and length and breadth of this glorious Christ. Make that your prayer. Join me now as we ask the Lord to do that. Father, if we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with you, we, we know that it's very possible for us to have remarkably limited belief about Jesus. We accept some things. We don't allow the realities and the truths about who Jesus is to have any significant or practical effect on our thought process, on our perspective, to not allow the truth about who Jesus is to have any practical effect on our, our feelings, our affections. To not have any practical effect on what we do or don't do. Let the truth. We're, we're asking you to do what is humanly impossible for us. We are finite. We are limited. We're spiritually limited. We're spiritually unable to comprehend these things. And so enlarge our capacity, enlarge our perceptions, enlarge our perceptions spiritually, enlarge our perceptions spiritually about who Jesus is, what Jesus has obtained for us, and then let the significance of that just fill us, Lord, and overflow from us, that we might have life in our Savior's name. Let this be so, for your glory, for our eternal joy and security.